Well, today we are beginning a brand new series called Established. We're going to take the next six weeks to look what does it mean to be rooted and established in the love of God. So if you have a Bible, you want to turn to John chapter 17. That's where we're going to hang out today. John chapter 17. I want to welcome those of you that are watching online with us right now. You notice in the upper right-hand corner of your screen, there is a little button there called Talk Notes. If you just push that, that's going to take you all the scriptures I'm going to look at today, as well as all the main points I'm going to be making. For those of you live in the room, welcome to you as well. If you get your smartphone out or your tablet out, go to our website, exponential.church. You're going to be able to go to our uh, website there, find the Talk Notes, and you'll be able to follow along with everything there as well. As you continue to turn to John chapter 17, let me give you just a little bit of uh, context. You know, out of the 12 disciples that Jesus had, he was closest with three of them, Peter, James, and John. But then it was John that he was actually the closest with of all of them. We, we read that, that John was the disciple that Jesus loved. We read that on the night that Jesus was betrayed by Judas, Jesus had announced that at the Last Supper to his guys that one of you is about to betray me. And the disciples are all looking around going, is it me? Is it me? Is it me? Except eventually Peter, he leans over to John and he says, you ask him, who's it going to be? And I think Peter, he had that confidence to ask John that question because he knew that, number one, it wasn't going to be John because John was the closest to Jesus. But then he figured, well, John will be the one that he would actually reveal this information to. It was John that at the cross, as Jesus is hanging there, even though Jesus' own brothers are there watching the crucifixion, it's John that Jesus looks at and says, this woman, Mary, she is now your mother. You need to take care of her. That's how close these guys were. John is the one that he writes out of the four gospel writers of some things that the other gospel writers simply don't write about. And part of the reason for that is they weren't there. John got to experience some things that the other gospel writers simply didn't. In fact, Jesus' longest prayer that is recorded is what we're going to look at here today, John chapter 17. How did John get access to Jesus' longest prayer? It's because he was there. He was close to Jesus. Now, John chapter 17, it takes up the entire chapter, obviously. It's 26 verses, and I want you to read uh, with me just a couple of them here as we see what it means to get established in the love of Jesus. So, John 17, chapter 1 or John 17, verses 1 to 3, we read this. Jesus looked up to heaven and he prayed, Father, the time has come for you to bring glory to your Son, so that I in turn may bring glory to you. You have given me authority over all people, so that I can give eternal life to those you have given me. And this is eternal life, to know you, the one true God, and to know me, Jesus the Christ, whom you have sent to the earth. Now, in just those three verses there, we discover three different things. We discover why it is that Jesus had to come to the earth. We discover what life is all about. And we discover what Christianity is all about. So what I want to do today is explain that to you by making three points to you. So if you're taking notes, here's the first one. Jesus came so that I might have eternal life. Why did Jesus come? So that you may have eternal life. Now, let me ask you a question. Those of you online, you can type it into the chat. Why did Jesus die on the cross? Go ahead. I hear some of you saying it. To save us from what? Save us from our sin, right? The next question then is this. 
why did we have to be saved from our sin? And the answer is so that we could have eternal life. Without you being saved from your sin, you cannot have eternal life. Sin is what separates us from God. It's what creates a barrier between us and him. Jesus had to pay for your sin so that you could have eternal life. So the whole purpose of Jesus' birth and life and death and resurrection is so that you could have eternal life, which is way different than what many people, what they think about Jesus. Now, most people won't actually come out and say this, but most people think that the reason Jesus came wasn't so that I could have eternal life. Most people think the reason Jesus came is so that I could have a comfortable life. Again, most people won't say that, but many people think that, well, Jesus came so I could be happy. Jesus came so I can accumulate a bunch of stuff. Jesus came so that I'll never be sick. Jesus came so I'll never experience any hardship in my life. Now, many of you are going, ah, Gilbert, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. That's not what I think about Jesus. But let me ask you a question. Have you ever had a situation where something bad happens to you and you're going, God, are you kidding me? Oh, come on, man. Don't you know? I've been in church six weeks in a row. Or maybe your, your car breaks down, you get a flat tire. And you're like, oh, come on, God, I've been tithing. You're supposed to be blessing me. I deserve this. This is what I should get. Again, many of you are saying, I would never, ever believe something like that or say something like that. But yet, the truth is, that's how most people live. That Jesus came to give me a, a comfortable life. And it doesn't have anything to do with the eternal life that he actually came to give. Now, most people, even though they wouldn't say that out loud, if you sort of think that that's how Jesus is, that he came to give you a comfortable life, you're smart enough, though, to realize, okay, he probably wants something back in return. And so that's why, you know, you, you try to do good and, and you give and you serve some people. You're like, okay, if I just do that, God will give me good stuff back. In other words, we, we sort of think of God like a, a vendor at a store. That if I pay you, God, a certain amount, then I'll get goods and services back in return. Sometimes we think, well, God owes me. Doesn't he see what I'm doing? Doesn't he see I've been reading my Bible every day? Doesn't he see I've been praying? Doesn't he see that I'm serving? Doesn't he see that I'm giving? God, you owe me. Let me make it very, very clear to you this morning. The only thing God owes you is hell. That's the only thing you and I deserve is eternal punishment in a very real place called hell because our sin has separated us from God. And that God gives us any more, that God blesses us any more than just hell itself, that's a testimony of his love and his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness in our lives. Guess what I'm saying to you this morning is Jesus isn't a genie in a bottle. He didn't come to give you three wishes. And you obeying him doesn't mean that he's going to give you the winning lottery numbers. Jesus came to give you eternal life. Which then begs the question, well, what is eternal life? That's the second point I want to make. Number two, I must define eternal life the way Jesus did. Eternal life is knowing God. 
Now, this is huge because many people think that eternal life is what happens to you after you die. Many people think that, okay, there's life, and then I die, and then I enter into eternal life, either heaven or hell. But that's not what Jesus said here. Jesus said that eternal life is knowing him. It's knowing the Father. It's knowing the Spirit of God. That's eternal life. Now, heaven and hell are still real things. That is, you know, we're going to end up in one of those two places, but that isn't eternal life. Eternal life is right now. Eternal life is now, and it's in the future. You guys don't believe me. Look again. What does Jesus say in John chapter 17, verse 3? And this is eternal life, to know you, the one true God, and to know me, Jesus the Christ, whom you have sent to the earth. So Jesus says eternal life is knowing me. It's knowing the Father question then becomes, all right, what does the definition of the word no mean in a scriptural context, the context here? When Jesus says to, to know, is he, is he just talking about like knowing some things intellectually? Or is he talking about something more than just simply that? You know, I, I shared this with you all before, but I won the, the sports boyhood idol lottery when I was a kid. As I was growing up in Maryland, I started to become a baseball fan, you know, eight, nine, ten years old. And so as I started to follow my favorite team, the Baltimore Orioles, I was like, okay, whoever's the youngest guy on the team, that's going to be like my, my favorite player on the team. What well, just so happened to be Cal Ripken. Cal Ripken was a, he was a rookie there in 1982. And I'm embarrassed to say I know a lot about the man. Almost a little stalkerish. So he won the Rookie of the Year in 1982. He was part of the World Series team there in 1983 then. Cal was a 19-time All-Star. He was a two-time American League MVP. Cal was born, this is the stalker's part, he was born August 24th of 1960 to Cal Sr. and his mom was Vi. Uh, Cal Sr. was the Orioles coach and manager for many years. His brother, Billy, was the Orioles second baseman for many years. Cal has two older siblings. Uh, there's Ellen and there's Fred. Fred never got into baseball. I'm not sure what Ellen's story is, uh, if she got into sports or not. Um, what else can I tell you about Cal? Cal had over 3,000 hits in his career. He had over 400 home runs in his career, almost 1,700 RBIs in a Hall of Fame career. And most famously, Cal is known for breaking what was said to be the most unbreakable record in all of sports. That was Lou Gehrig's consecutive game streak played of 2,130 consecutive games. Now, Cal tied that record on September the 5th, 1995. He broke it the next night on September the 6th, uh, 1995. See, I'm telling you, it's a little ridiculous. In the fourth inning of game 2131, Cal hit a home run. In fact, he actually hit a home run in both of those games. But here's what's cool about 2131. Bill Clinton, the president of the United States at the time, was being interviewed by ESPN. And Cal steps up and he hits a home run. And so it was actually Bill Clinton that gave the commentary of Cal hitting the home run. Now, games don't become official until for a home team until four and a half innings into the, uh, the game. And so once it became official that Cal had, 
had broken the streak there. It was 21-31. The crowd gave him a 22-minute standing ovation. Here's what was amazing about that. All 22 minutes, ESPN did not cut to a commercial break. And the commentators didn't say anything. All you heard for 22 consecutive minutes was just the crowd cheering, the umpires clapping, the opposing team is clapping as Cal makes a lap around Camden Yards. It's pretty amazing. I watched it this week just to remind myself of what that experience was like. I can go on. Cal. Cal. <laughs> But I need to get to the next part here. I do need to give you just a little bit more. Cal was born in Harvard Grace, Maryland. He was raised in Aberdeen, Maryland. Today he lives in, in um, Annapolis, Maryland. He was, I actually had you need to throw this in. He was married to Kelly Ripken for many years until, rumor has it, she had an affair with the actor Kevin Costner. That's a little strange tidbit, huh? Cal and Kelly had two kids, Rachel and Ryan. Cal today is remarried to a woman by the name of Laura, who's a circuit judge down in Maryland. Now, I said all I have to say this. If tonight I show up in Annapolis, Maryland, to Cal Ripken's house, and I knock on the door and he answers, what's he going to say to me? Who are you? <laughs> I think somebody said something about a restraining order. <laughs> No, he's going to say, who are you? Isn't that weird? I know a lot of stuff <laughs> about this man. But yet he doesn't know me. It's the same way with Jesus. When we read in Scripture about to know God, to know Jesus, to believe in Jesus, it's not talking about just a mere head knowledge, intellectual assent that you're giving to something. There's a huge difference between knowing someone and then actually knowing someone. About having a personal relationship with someone. So when John writes here that Jesus prayed that eternal life is about knowing God, it's about knowing Jesus the Son, he wasn't talking about a bunch of facts. He was talking about knowing him intimately and personally. Listen, to know Jesus just takes an education. How, did I, how do I know all the facts about Cal Ripken? Because I read about it. I heard it. It's the same way with Jesus. You can get an education about Jesus just simply by listening to a bunch of sermons that I preach or reading some books about Jesus, going to a Bible study or a life group. You can get a lot of head knowledge about Jesus, but that's not what Jesus wants. He wants a relationship with you. And so again, when we, we read here about in Scripture that knowing Jesus, believing in Jesus, it, it's about transformation. It's not about information. Jesus' own brother, a guy by the name of James at one point, he says this, that even the demons believe that Jesus is God and it causes them to tremble. But yet we know that demons aren't going to heaven. Demons don't have a relationship with Jesus. But yet James says they know him. They know who he is, that he is God. It's more than that. It's all about a relationship. So if we want to get rooted and established in the love of God, 
We've got to know him, not just about him. Knowing him has to transform our lives and cause us to act on what it is that we know. Again, Jesus says eternal life is knowing God. It's knowing Jesus, the Son. And yes, eternal life is that, that state of going on and, and living forever. But again, eternal life is just as much here and now. So you got to honestly ask yourself, do I have a personal relationship with Jesus? Or do I just know a bunch of stuff about Jesus in the same way that Gilbert knows a bunch of useless facts about Cal Ripken? Do you actually know him? Do you actually believe in him in such a way that it's motivated you to change your life? I've shared with you before that, you know, if somebody calls you and says your house is on fire, you can say, okay, thanks. And they're like, aren't you like getting out of the house? I mean, don't, don't you believe me? Oh, yeah, sure, I believe you. But yet if you stay in the house and you burn to death, you didn't actually believe them. And so that's the type of belief that Scripture is talking about here, a belief that motivates you to, it motivates you to change. It motivates you to, to take some action on it. So again, I pray that you get to personally know Jesus because it's the greatest thing that will ever happen in your life. And you know, it's kind of mind-blowing if you think about it, that, that Jesus, God in the flesh, the creator of the universe, the one who has the power to part the seas, the one who has the, the power to calm the seas even, that same Jesus wants to have a relationship with you. Think about it this way. The greatest thing that ever happened in the life of David wasn't killing Goliath. The greatest thing that happened in the life of David was that he had a relationship with God. The greatest thing that ever happened to Moses wasn't that God gave him the, the power to part the Red Sea. The greatest thing that ever happened to Moses was that he had a relationship with God. The greatest thing that ever happened to Peter wasn't that he got to walk on the water. The greatest thing that ever happened to Peter was that he had a relationship with God. God wants a relationship with you. And you start that relationship through his son, Jesus. That is a miracle. That God wants to have a relationship with us. And you know, a, a part of what makes heaven heaven is that you're going to completely know him and be known by him. And heaven's going to be cool, don't get me wrong. I mean, gates made out of pearls and, and streets made out of gold and almost like, Oprah, you know, God's like, you get a mansion, and you get a mansion, and you get a mansion. I mean, it's a great place to go to. You want to be there. But that's not the greatest thing. The greatest thing is that you get to have this relationship that you started with Jesus here on the earth, but now you get to have it face to face. He's right there. He's right there with you, and you get to see him. Oh, man, what great joy that is. And so part of what we do on this life or in this life is we practice for the life to come. That we start to get to know Jesus intimately and personally right here and right now. And like any relationship, we, we work on, you know, the, the things that, that may be hindering our relationship. So for us, that's sin, right? They were like, oh, man, Jesus, I'm sorry I've hurt you in this way. Let, let's, let's work on, let's work on this. 
And then you work on maximizing the things that are going good in your relationship so that you can have even greater joy here on the earth. Again, life isn't about you getting stuff. Life isn't about you getting comfortable. Life is all about a relationship with Jesus. And so if you and I are ever going to get established in the Christian faith, that's where it starts, realizing that at the cornerstone of it all is Jesus. That it's Jesus who we can have this relationship with that is going to impact us right here and right now and in the life to come. Listen, Jesus doesn't want your money. He doesn't want your good works. He doesn't want your righteous deeds. He just wants your heart and your time. He wants a conversation with you. Now, should you be moral? Should you give? Should you serve? Sure you should. But you do those things out of a heart of gratitude that Jesus changed my life. My life has been transformed and changed. That's because of him that I'm alive, both now and forevermore. And so as you spend more and more time with Jesus, as you're developing this relationship with him, you're like, I want to become way more like him. And as you start to become way more like him, yeah, that is, it's going to change your morals. It's going to change who or what you give to. It's going to change how you serve people. It no longer becomes about serving yourself. It becomes all about serving him and, and serving others. You'll naturally be transformed. Now, I know many of you are going, Gilbert, this sounds good. What do we do? Is there a problem anywhere? Well, that's point number three on your outline. Sin keeps me from eternal life with Jesus, but he died and rose again to fix that. So I've shared with you before, the, the word sin in the, the original Hebrew, actually, it's not even a theological word. It actually is just a word that means to miss the mark. It's like a, a guy shooting his arrow and he, he misses the bullseye. That's sin. You've missed the mark. And anytime we do things that are displeasing to God, that we're disobedient in any way, we have sin, and that keeps us from a relationship with Jesus, from eternal life with him. Here's the problem. There's nothing we can do to fix that ourselves. We can't be good enough. We can't be holy enough. We can't serve enough or give enough. Only Jesus can do that for us. The good news of what Christianity is all about is that God himself became one of us, Jesus. And he lived the perfect and sinless life that you could never live, and then he died on the cross for the life that you are living. He was the perfect sacrifice. He shed his blood for you. Think of it this way. Let's say that this is the record book of your life. Now all of us have a record book. On the front page is your birth certificate. On the last page is your death certificate. And everything in between is the good and the bad and the ugly of your life. There's a lot of good stuff that you've done. But there's also sin that's in there. And if God opens up the record book of your life at the moment of your death when you're being judged and he sees any sin in the record book of your life, then that means you deserve hell. And that'll be your eternal destiny. But what did Jesus do for us? Jesus went through the record book of your life and my life and everybody's lives. And he says, here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm willing to go through and every time that there's sin, I'm going to take my blood and I'm going to blot it out. And I'm going to find the next sin and I'm going to take my blood and I'm going to blot it out. So that one day when you die, 
and the record book of your life is opened up and God the Father starts going through it and he's looking and he's going, good stuff and blood, good stuff and blood, good stuff and blood, good stuff and blood. All he will see is the good stuff that you've done. In other words, in God's eyes, you are now perfect and now you can enter in to eternal life with God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And remember, eternal life is simply just a relationship with him. The relationship that you start here will be able to continue on forever and ever and ever and ever. But you can't start that relationship after you die. You can't live the way you wanted to live here on this earth and then at the moment of your death, that you stand before Jesus and go, oh, could you forgive me now? Doesn't work that way. That's just using him. All his death is, is continuing on. Did you have a relationship or not? And so all of us have the choice. Are we going to start a relationship with Jesus right here and right now or not? And if we ask him for his forgiveness, if we ask for his leadership, he will forgive us and restore us to a right relationship. All right, so let's take all these words that we've been defining here today and let's actually put it into the most famous Bible verse of all time. So what we learned was that to believe in Jesus means that we need to, to know him, which means we need to, to trust him. It takes us beyond just mere head knowledge. We learned that eternal life is not a destination, rather it's a relationship. And so if we put all that into John 3.16, here's what we read. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever does what? Whoever believes, not just head knowledge, whoever believes in such a way that it motivates you to change, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have what? Have eternal life. We're not talking about what happens to you after you die. Eternal life is now. Eternal life is what? It's a relationship. So look at it again. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him, whoever trusts in him shall not perish, but have a relationship with him, eternal life with him. John, the one that Jesus loved, that's what he writes here. He records Jesus' longest prayer and he records this most famous Bible verse that you too can have a relationship with Jesus, both now and forevermore. Now, what this series is all about is, what does it mean to have a relationship with Jesus? Because many of you, you already have a relationship with Jesus. This was just a reminder of a decision that you've already made. For some of you, you've never made this decision before, and today is the day to do it. We, we read in Scripture that today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to start that relationship with Jesus. But so many people have asked me, they go, okay, how do you have a relationship with somebody you don't even see? What does that look like? So that's what we're going to take the next five weeks then after today. And we're going to look at, okay, how do you have a relationship with Jesus right here and right now, even though you can't see him, so that you can prepare for that day that you do see him face to face. And so I hope you'll continue to join us throughout the series. Those of you that are watching online, I hope you'll continue to join us as well, as we look at how do you get rooted and established in the love 
of Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day and this opportunity we've had to be once again reminded of what your gospel message is all about. That God, you loved us so much that you yourself came to us in the form of a man, Jesus. Jesus, we thank you that you did live a perfect and sinless life and then you died on the cross so that our sins might be forgiven. Lord, we know that you give us free will, you give us free choice to either love you or not to love you, to either choose your forgiveness or to reject your forgiveness, to either say, yes, sin is a serious issue and I need forgiveness, or to say, no, sin isn't a big issue and I'm just going to keep doing it and I'm just going to hope for the best when I die. Jesus, you came so that we could be set free. That's our choice. So, Lord, I pray that everybody that's here today in this room, everybody that's watching online, either live with us or sometime in the future, I pray that every single person right now, your spirit would convict them of their sin, and they would realize that without you, Jesus, without a relationship with you, we are doomed. We are destined for hell. But you came so that we may have eternal life. You came so that we could have a relationship with you. You made that way possible. And you give it as an absolutely free gift. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. We can't give enough. We can't serve enough. We can never do enough. It's a gift. And you said we just have to reach out and receive it for ourselves. And we do that simply by asking you, Jesus, forgive me my sins. Come into my life. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Make me whole. Give me a fresh start. Help me to start this relationship with you that's going to last forever and ever. And Lord, you said that if we'll do that, if we'll confess our sins to you, that you're faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness, and that you're going to take our sins and you're going to separate it as far as the east is from the west. You're going to take our sins, bury them in the deepest parts of the sea, never to be remembered again. Jesus, your blood has blotted out our sin so that we are seen as perfect in your sight. We thank you for that. And now, Lord, help us after we've started that relationship, to continue to work on that relationship, to develop that relationship, to to communicate with you and have you communicate to us. Help us to know what it means to walk with you each and every day. And so be with us over these next couple weeks as we look at that. Help us to get established in your love, established in your grace, established in your mercy, and established in who it is that you've called us to be here on this earth. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.